Amen. Hey, that extra hour of sleep did you good. You look good today. <laughs> looks good. Looks good. Hey, we are wrapping up a four-part message series today called Anxious for Nothing. It's been quite an experience. It's been quite a journey. If you're new with us in this series, we focused on one very particular, powerful verse of Scripture, passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 4. Let me give you a little bit of the context. The Apostle Paul, more than anything else, believed that if he could get to Rome to preach the gospel, that he would affect the most people and that it would be most likely to spread across the entire world. Unfortunately, that's not exactly how it went. Through a different series of events, he got to Rome, but not as a preacher. He went as a preacher, but he quickly became a prisoner, locked up 24 hours a day, chained to a Roman soldier every single day. And while he was in that prison, unsure of the outcome, would he ever get out? Would he die in prison? Would he ever get to preach? He writes Philippians chapter 4. He wrote this as a letter to the, Philippi, the people of Philippi. We now know it is the book of Philippians. If anyone had the right or was in a position to be anxious, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet here's what he writes in that letter from prison to encourage the believers in Philippi. Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all human understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your minds. Some of you right now are in a position where you want so desperately that peace. Some of you are facing big decisions that you have to make. The weight of making those decisions weighs heavy on you, and you're struggling. You say, I don't have a peace of mind. Matter of fact, my mind is racing. I'm overwhelmed. I feel anxious. I feel a heaviness. I feel a pressure deep down inside, and I am afraid. Do you know research suggests that the biggest forms of anxiety with people, I didn't know this, they call decision-making anxiety. That that's one of the biggest anxieties we face as a people group. We got to make a decision. What's next? I don't know what to do next. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to go the wrong direction. I don't know really what to do here. And that's why today, as we wrap up this series, the title of today is when you just can't decide. You got a decision to make. And you just can't decide. Your heart's breaking. I just don't know what to do. I don't know which way to go. With that in mind, can we just pray together as we kick this off today? Father, today I pray for those that are here that we have decisions to make. Those who are under the weight, God, this morning of anxiety. 
God, I pray as we present our request to you that you would open up heaven and give us that peace that we just read about, a peace that passes all human understanding. Direct our steps, God. Share your wisdom with us. And then I pray that every single one of us walks out of here today with a new breath of fresh air. We love you. We say thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you that have decisions to make, I wonder how many of you are like me when you feel a little bit of anxiety about a decision that you have to make. You just don't know. You want to get it right. But it's a big deal. Decisions, listen, make, making decisions, you think we do it every day, and we do. But they're often very complicated choices to make, aren't they? Should I stay in this job or should I go to this job? Should we continue to live in this city or do we need to move? Do we have another kid or we don't have another kid? Can we continue to provide care for a loved one or is it time to make a switch so that they're cared for better? Should I stay at home or should I go to work? Should we buy this house or should we continue to live here? Do we get rid of an old car that we're trying to nurse and keep it going because we don't want to go into debt? Or do we bite the bullet to have a better car and more reliable transportation? Do I go back to school and, and pay more money, but yet I could get a better job when I was through? Do I do that or do I stay wherever? I just don't know what to do. It often feels complicated. In this series, I've shared a bit of my story, my, my journey a couple of years ago when I was at a really difficult spot in life and dealing with anxiety with, that really took me down. It, it, caught, it caught me off guard. I'd never been in a spot like that in 30 years of ministry where I just struggled some days to get up and go do things that I was doing for the last 30 years. And I finally couldn't hold it in anymore, and I had to share it. And I needed some help. And fortunately, I got some help. But I was stuck big time. It was hard for me to function. Was there a miracle cure when I went away and went all the way across the country to meet a couple that I had never met before and stayed in their house for a week to try to get some traction in getting unstuck? Was it a miracle after a week? Of course not. It's been a journey. But I can tell you I'm in a better place today. I'm in a better place today. Do I still need counsel? Probably. Ask my wife. She said, oh yeah, you could do that. <laughs> but some of you in this room might be in that place that I was in your own way today you might find yourself in a place that you say, I've never been before. And I got some decisions to make, and I don't even have whatever it is that I need to make some decisions. I just feel stuck. You know the generation coming up, Gen Z they call them, high school students, college students today? They're saying that that's probably the most stressed out age group in the history of the world because of so many different decisions, so many uncertainties. They, they call it the age of anxiety. I don't know if you know that or not. 
There's so many complications, so many decisions to make, so much uncertainty. How in the world do you make a decision when you're stressed at that level? We're going to talk about it today. Why are we so anxious around decision-making? Why? If you would, take out your message outlines. I'm going to give you two reasons. We, there's a lot more reasons, but I'm going to share with you two of why it's so complicated, I believe, today to make decisions. Number one, if you're taking notes, the bottom line is we have too many choices. You know why it's difficult to make a choice? Because we have more choices available to us today than any time in the history of the world. They call it the paradox of choices. You would think if we had more options, it was going to be easier to make a decision. But it's actually the opposite. Like when I I was thinking about when I was growing up, this will age me a little bit. When I was growing up, we only had like 13 stations and that was just numbers. That was all there was available, numbers on the TV. But we got like four or five stations. You remember that? And my parents didn't have a remote control. I was remote control. My mom or dad would say, hey, get up and change that channel to channel 11 or 13 or whatever it was. Remember that? We didn't, you didn't sit there with a clicker. Like, I don't know if you got this, but I stress myself out or stress my wife out with the clicker on the TV because when a commercial, I don't want to watch a commercial. So I'll go to other things in between. I'll jump from this to this to this to this. We've got like 175 stations and I'll still at times be like, man, there's nothing on to watch. (laughs) We, We are overloaded right? If you're into Netflix or Hulu or whatever you can get on there, there's like a gazillion choices. And it stresses us out. Stresses us out. You can get in your car, you can listen to a thousand different radio stations. To me, when I was growing up, there was like two that you could get, right? It felt like it. So more decisions just complicates things more. Get this, this, the research, this, this blew me away. Do you know how many decisions they say the average kid makes a day? 5,000. Your children have to make about 5,000 choices a day. Now get this, if you're an adult, you know how many they say we do on average? 35,000 decisions a day. Doesn't even seem possible, does it? 35,000 decisions a day. The paradox of choices creates anxiety. We just have too many things to choose from. It's crazy. And it taxes our mind, it stresses us out, it causes anxiety. So why do we have such a problem? You can see why. We have too many choices. Here's the second reason. We're afraid of making a costly mistake. We're afraid of making a costly mistake. We're afraid of missing out. If you're you're a Christian, right, and you want to put it in spiritual terms, we we don't want to do something that's against God's will. So how do we know if it's God's will? Like, God, I, I wish you'd just tell me, like, send me a note, a letter, whatever, right? He could do that, but he doesn't. Plus, we'd lose it in our email, because if you're like me, you got 10,000 emails coming in a day, and you don't read half of them. And pressure that culture puts on us. We got all this pressure, right? If you want to get married one day, you need to find the one. Everybody's telling you, there's one out there for you. Like, if you don't find that one, like, they might be sitting three rows away from you right now at Crossroads, and you don't even know it. And you're afraid, yeah, what if, what if that was the one, and I missed it? Like, I I should have noticed when people were singing and moving their hands if they had a ring finger on. I I didn't even notice if they did, and what if I miss it? And then you're reading a Christian book, and it says you need to find out what your purpose is. And you're like, oh, I don't even know what my purpose is. I can't find the one. I don't know what my purpose is. Pastor stands up and says you need to live out God's will. I don't even know what that is. All this stress. 
do we do? How do we battle through all these choices that we have? How do we follow God when there's so many different things and so many different voices and different opinions of what's right and what's not? I mean, if I were to ask you, let's just be honest, how many of you deal with being indecisive? If I just asked you one-on-one, do you struggle with being indecisive? You know what some of you are going to say? Well, (laughs) yes and no. (laughs) Not sure, right? We're laughing. You know why you're laughing? Because you just thought that. Can I tell you something? This isn't on your notes, but it might be worth writing down. Indecision is a decision. Do you know that? Some of us, we don't want to make a decision because it could be wrong, and so we just get paralyzed and stuck right there. But indecision is a decision. And it's probably the most popular decision people are making. I just, I just can't, so I'm not. Well, you are. <laughs> It's so complicated, isn't it? So here's what I want to do today. I hope that I can uncomplicate some of this for you. I'm going to tell you many times today, don't complicate it. And then at the end, we're going to look at one simple spiritual principle. And I'm going to tell you, don't complicate it. Just do this. And if you and I can implement that, if we can focus on that, I believe your stress level, your anxiety level, when it comes to decision-making in life, can drastically shrink. Don't complicate it. We're going to look at a story in Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 is very interesting. Some of the leaders of the church were trying to, um, they were dealing with complicated issues. Let's just say that. The church is young. There's complicated issues going on. We got Paul, and we had Barnabas. We had James, right? They met up in Jerusalem. And they decide what they got to do is we got to deal with some of the controversies going on at this early church. And so, in other words, if you were a Christian in that day, right, they were wrestling with things like, could you eat certain types of meat that some traditions had forbid? And they were wrestling through that. That didn't seem like a big deal to us today, but that was a big deal. There's a really complicated question that they were dealing with, and that is, if you were a Gentile, Would you have to be circumcised to become a follower of Jesus? Now, I find that very odd question, right? Can you imagine? Like we say, you give your faith, you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone to forgive you of your sins, to make you brand new from the inside, and then your next step to show people publicly that you're a follower of Jesus is you get baptized, And sometimes people are quick, they they cross the line of faith and they say, I've given my life to Christ, but they don't want to get their hair wet or they're worried about water, they're scared of water or whatever. And men, men seem to be that way especially. Can you imagine if I stood up here and say, did you give your life to Jesus today? Well, okay guys, the next thing we need you to do is be circumcised. Come on down. I'm like, I think I'll pass, right? (laughs) that, That was some of the deals they were wrestling with. So anyway, so you're trying to make these decisions. They were making these big theological decisions, doctrinal decisions, that was going to affect all of the church. But I want you to watch as we read their conclusions. How did they come up with their conclusion? How are they going to make these choices? Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 22. I want you, every time I read the words seemed good, I want you just to read out loud with me, just the seemed good, all right? 
Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Verse 25, it seemed good to us having become of one mind to select men to spend or to send you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than the essentials. In other words, it seemed like the right thing to do not to raise the bar or the barriers to invite people to come to Christ. It seemed good not to do that, but to just keep it to the essentials, which I would agree with. Now, what do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you make a decision when you feel stuck? If scripture directly speaks to it, your situation, that's a no-brainer. You just do what God's word says. But what if what you're dealing with, you can't find any scripture that specifically deals with that decision that you're trying to make? What do you do then? Now, I could preach a message that says just do what seems right. There's just one problem with that. In the Old Testament, there's a verse that says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So that doesn't sound like you just do what seems right, right? Because there's a lot of people today living life what seems right to them, but it's very contrary to God's word, and they don't know God's word, so they don't even know they're going the wrong direction. And he said that kind of mentality can lead you to death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. Well, then we read this passage in Acts chapter 15, and it appears that Paul And Barnabas and the early church made some decisions that affected all of us still to this day, and they did it because it seemed right. So how could both of those happen and both be right? (laughs) In one place it says, it doesn't sound like you should do what seems right, and yet they come along and says, we kind of did what seemed right. Here's why. If you're taking notes, fill this in. If you are around the wrong people, Listening to wrong voices and living for the wrong values, what seems right will often be wrong. You get that? I'm going to say it again. If you're in the wrong crowd, right? If you're listening to wrong people's voices, their opinions, and they're different from God's truth, but you don't even know it because you don't know God's truth. If you're consistently following world values instead of spiritual values that come from God's word, and you're surrounding yourself with people who are not close to God, who are not living by his word, then oftentimes what seems right to you will often be wrong. Incredibly wrong. In other words, you can go to a certain crowd of people and whatever you kind of really want to do in the back of your mind, you can find somebody to support that if that's your goal. I wonder how many of us, I'm not going to ask you to show your hands because I'm not going to embarrass you in that way, but I wonder how many of us have found ourselves in a season of our life where we were hanging out with the wrong crowd, the wrong people influencing us, listening to the wrong voices, and we did something that at the time seemed like the thing to do, but we realized later that it was the wrong thing. Right? Been there. That's the way it works. There's a way that seems right, the Bible says, to a man, to mankind, not just men, ladies. But at the end, it leads its way to death. But here in the New Testament, we have, the same, we have these spiritual leaders saying we did what seemed right. 
We made these big decisions for the early church and we did what just seemed right. How could Paul and James and Barnabas make such weighty decisions on something that just seemed right? Well, in that Acts chapter 15 passage that we just read, there's three different keys, but we just read on by them. My guess is most of us did not even catch it when we read it. We didn't even notice. So I want to look at that same passage of Scripture again, but I want you to focus on something besides it just seemed right. How could it just seem right be okay for them? But the Old Testament says when you do what seems right, it could end in death. Let's look at it again. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. The apostle and the elders. It seemed good to both of them, both groups. And with the whole church, the whole church family, the body, to choose men. In other words, this wasn't something that just seemed right to one person or even two people. It wasn't something that just made sense or seemed right to one leader, but it was the leaders and it was the whole body of believers that it seemed right with. The whole family of God. It seemed right to all of them. Verse 25, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind. In other words, the church agreed. The church body was unified. They all felt the same way. It's not just going off the feelings of one person or two people. And then verse 28 says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. In other words, it matched up with God's word. He confirmed it as well. They weren't going a way off direction. God's word seemed to support it as well. And to us. Do you see the difference between that and it seemed right to a man, to a person, to a woman? That's not a God-fearing person, that's not following scripture, that's not putting other believers around them in other words, this is so important. There's a massive difference between something that seems right to one man or one woman that ends in death. A massive difference between that or saying something like, wow, no, uh, godly leaders, a godly church family, people that believe in a mountain-moving, devil-kicking, spirit-filled follower, a group of followers of believers who have been seeking God's word together and following the voice of the Spirit of God that comes from God's word. Do you see the difference? That's, that's the big difference, so don't miss this. They were able to do what seems right because the whole, they all agreed. They were all seeking the same word. They were all praying to the same God. They were following his leading, and that's a big difference than someone going rogue and doing their own thing, surrounded by the wrong people, listening to the wrong voices, chasing stuff on the internet instead of chasing God's word. And what I'm about to say, listen, I don't, however long you're around a church, or as long as you are alive, I'm going to tell you something I pray you never forget. As a Christ follower, you do not go to church the church is not a building you go to. It's never been about a building. It's not a destination. The church has always been and will always be a people group that are followers of Jesus. We are the church. It's not a place you go. It's an identity in which we embrace. As Christ followers, we don't go to church. We are the church. 
And the church is more than one hour on a Sunday where you meet every now and then as long as there's nothing else better going on for you. It's amazing how people make decisions today. We going to church this Sunday? I don't know. Anybody got a ball game scheduled? Yeah, our team's going to be out of town. It's too cold to go to the lake. I guess if we get up in time, we might, might as well go to church. No, 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 no! This isn't a place that you go as believers. It's who we are. God has put us on this globe for a reason. And then I... Well, I'm looking for a church that meets my needs. If I ever see somebody or hear somebody close to me say that again, if you see me clench my fist, I'm about to punch you in the face. (laughs) Well, I'm looking for a church that just meets my needs and my family's needs. That's about the most unselfish or most selfish thing you could ever say. That's as, as contrary to God's word as anything you will ever say. This church, a church does not exist to meet my needs as a believer. There's not a church that should exist to meet your needs as a believer. You see, if you're a believer, we're to meet the needs of the world. That's what we do. We're not, listen, this isn't a play. Oh, I hope they do all the song I like, and I hope the message is exactly what I like, and I hope it's at the level that I want because I'm looking for my needs to be met. No, we meet the needs of the world. That's why the church exists. We're ambassadors sent from heaven to this earth to share the same gospel that Paul went to prison over to share with the people that don't hear. Yeah, that's what we're here for. Aren't you glad you... You needed that extra hour for today, I'm telling you. We want people to get involved in doing life with one another. Because what I'm talking about, what seems right, when you need the right people around you, can I just tell you, people say all the time, well, pastor, do you think you can be a believer and not go to church? Sure you can, it happens all the time. You can't be an obedient one. Well, I hear a lot about small group. Like, I, yeah, you ought to be in a small group. You know why? Because to make happen what we just read with, from Paul and Barnabas, you need people around you. You need people trying to go the same direction, reading the same book, trying to make the same things happen in their life. Small group isn't for us just as like, oh, we, they kind of want us to get in a small group like it's some little program. No, we want you to do life with other people. You know why? Because God says you need to do life with other people. There's 52 one another's just in the New Testament that it's impossible to do if you're isolated from God's church and you don't have people around you. It's impossible. We're a family. You need people around you. I need people around me. You say, man, you're fired up today. Listen, because I see everything that comes when people don't do those things. Everything seems all right to you right now, but when the wheels shake, remember, notice I said when they do and when they fall off because you might be on smooth sailing right now, but the wheels will fall off your life one day. And you don't get to snap your fingers and have people around you. It happens by choices today. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. But when it seems right to a community, to people that are like-minded, that that have something in common, and we go to a common book, and we can trust God at a whole different level. So don't complicate it. Don't complicate it. I want to take you through the previous weeks just real quick, kind of a snapshot tour, if you will. 
If you've been with us for all four weeks, you're probably some of this stuff should sound familiar. We said if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Remember that? If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. What is anxiety? Remember the little red light, the check engine light on your car? We said when that goes off with anxiety, it's time for me to pray. When I start to get anxious because things are going in life and I don't know what to do, it should be a wake-up call to me that I need to be praying about it. Why would I worry about it when worry changes nothing, but I can pray to a God that cares and listens who can do something? We said we don't always have the power to control, but we always have the power to surrender. Remember that? Last week, because of who God is, Not necessarily for what he does. He's done plenty already. But I'm not going to praise God for the what. I'm going to praise him for the who. Oh, I can praise him for what sometimes as well. But even when the what isn't what I want and not what I prayed for, not what it didn't go the way I wanted, I'm going to praise him for who he is. Paul started praising him and they sang songs in the middle of the jail and they had no idea if they were going to get out. It was before a miracle came. So I want to give you one thought. One thought, how do we make the decision when we're so bottled up? It's so weighty, I don't want to make the wrong decision. I'm scared to death to miss it and go the wrong path. Fill this in, it's on the back side of your notes. Don't complicate it, here's the one thing. With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise. With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what seems right. With a posture of prayer, this isn't just me seek deciding this. It's, it's seeking God, his word, his ways. If you're not into God's word, you're going to have a hard time knowing what decisions to make. And with a perspective of praise, recognizing that God is always good. He's always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We're not just seeking information. This isn't just me seeking God. This is me with my small group. This is me as a church. This is is me with godly people that I've placed around me. We're going to seek him together and do what seems right. It's not an unspiritual thing to do. It's a very spiritual thing to do. It's kind of like when you're driving. You follow a GPS, whether it's on your phone or you've got one in your car, right? And you're driving down the road. I don't know if this happens to you. This happens in our house quite a bit when we're going somewhere we've never been. My wife has set up our GPS. It's got a British woman's accent or a British woman that talks to us. It's pretty cool. <laughs> She's so polite. <laughs> Take the next right, right? Whatever they do. And I don't know if you've ever done that, though, but that's like, it tells you how far it is, and you're like, I don't really know how to judge distance when I'm driving this fast, right? And so, like, there's a right there, and then there's, like, a right right there, and you're like, I don't know which one to take, and I'll talk to her. I'm like, come on, lady, tell me which one. And so, I don't know what you do, but I'll I'll say, Deb, which one do I take? I'm freaking out, like, Deb, which one do I take? Because if I miss a turn, listen, you know what it means to me? I'm going to be later than I was. And I don't like getting behind, and there's cars behind me, and now they're in front of me because I took the wrong road. And so when, when I'm confused by the GPS, I will ask my wife, which one? And then if she tells me which one, and I take it, and it's the wrong one, I've got somebody to blame. <laughs> I just gave you bad marriage advice. Don't, do not listen. <laughs> do not listen to me. <laughs> and don't tell her. She's working with kids this service. 
I don't know if I can even say that next service because I have to go home. But anyway, I almost always panic and I take the one, right? And sometimes it's right and sometimes it's like recalculating. Oh, no, I, must t- I took the wrong turn. That wasn't the right one. See, I t- why did I ask you? I figured it was that one. <laughs> Paul was going to Rome to be a preacher. He's going to share the gospel there because then it can spread over the whole world if that's not a heavy weight on your shoulders. But he gets to Rome. He's not a preacher anymore. He's a prisoner. That's a recalculating. Listen. (laughs) I've taken a lot of wrong turns in my life. Remember Paul last week? what he wrote to the Philippian people, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It wasn't the road that he signed up to go down. And you got to believe he went through the same things you and I do, like, oh man, I made a bad turn. Is this like derail my whole life? And then Paul finally got it that, you know what, this has actually happened to help advance because I'm chained to an influential person, three different people a day, eight-hour shifts, and they get to listen to me share the gospel. And it became known all through the prison and started to spread through the country that Paul was a believer and was sharing about Jesus. Maybe you didn't get off where you wanted to get off, but God did something that he couldn't do on his own. I've looked at that with my life this week. Paul said, listen, we know, that's, I love Romans eight twenty eight. for we know that all things, God works in all things. He works in all things together for the good. Doesn't mean all things are good and you don't perceive them as good, but he said, I can take even your mistakes, even your wrong turns, and I can take these things together and I can work them all together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. In other words, wrong, one wrong turn cannot get you off of God's path. It might be a temporary recalculating, but God said, I can even take your mistakes and I can put them together and do something great and still get you to where I wanted to get you. And it might even be in a different way than you ever thought, and it's going to be a better deal. Listen, some of you, some of you have took more scenic drives getting off the path and doing your own thing. So what about you? Doesn't mean that you're, there's no hope. Some of you look at your life and you're like, wow, you know what? I look back, I should have never dated her. Should have never dated him. You're probably right. The fact that his middle name was Satan should should have tipped you off. Right? But now you understand what a godly man or a godly woman looks like. And you should be able to recognize them and not just listen to what they say, but you stay with them close enough with them for a while to see how they live how do they make decisions so you can recognize I should have never trusted that person I got burned so bad that hurt me so bad I don't know if I can ever forgive again that's real life stuff right God's good enough and he's powerful enough to work through your wrong turns and mine. My life story, I don't know how in the world I've ended up in a right destination with a lot of the wrong turns that I took in my life. Wrong friends, wrong environment, wrong entertainment, wrong girls. I became the wrong guy 
ended up in a lot of wrong places by taking a lot of wrong turns and making wrong decisions. But all of those led me to a golf course to meet the right person at the right time who introduced me to Jesus, who forgave me my sins, made me brand new from the inside out, transformed my heart, put a heart in me that had a care for people other than myself. That's how good my God is. If there's anybody here, you've messed up so bad, you've partied too hard, I can actually relate to you. I'm a normal person. I don't glow in the dark. I want you to know he's a good God. But don't complicate it. It's in a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise surrounded by God's people. We will seek God and do what seems right. I know some of you say, "Yeah, you know what? I hear your story, preacher boy, but I've got real problems. I've heard your story, but that doesn't even compare. You know what? It may not. I'm not saying my issues are any bigger than your issues. Your issues are yours and mine are mine. But you know what? I look back on that journey of mine two years ago. I thank God that I wasn't by myself. I felt alone, but I wasn't alone. I had a staff that was very supportive when I finally let them know. I had a staff that did research looking all across the country for somebody that could help me get unstuck. I shared it with our small group and they prayed for me and they prayed for my wife. My wife had prayed for me, but she even seemed alone. But we weren't. But we had a group around us. We had a staff around us. We have a church family that cares. I've made adjustments to my schedule and how I do what I do and what I don't do and time off and what meetings I can be a part of and whatnot because I put too much on myself a lot of times and I drag myself down because I don't want to disappoint someone. And I don't know if this message here, I'm sure it's not been for every single person here, but it's for many of you. And the reason I know that is because I've heard from more of you than I normally ever hear from. And I've seen it in people's eyes in the lobby. And I've seen it through people's tears. And I felt it in your conversations. And I said last week, and I still stand by it, if it took me going through what I went through two years ago to learn God's word in a fresher way, and to be able to stand up here in this series and give somebody else hope because of where I've been and what I've experienced, then it's been worth it. With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what's right. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, Paul says, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. You know why? Because we have a God that's near and a God that cares. And with everything, by prayer and petition, make your request known to God. And when you do that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind, which is where most of our problems lie, in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask that you'd stand to your feet with me. And for those of you that are in the middle of it, that are battling decisions and you feel frozen, you feel stuck, you've got anxiety pressing in, you don't even want to get out of bed someday. You've got this angst, this weight, and you can't seem to shake it. I want you to sing out this morning to a God that's not distant, He's near. A God that whispers because He's close. 
and you just with prayer and petition and thanksgiving in your heart sing out to this God get some freedom today do it God's way would you join as our team comes out and leads us would you just sing like you've never sang not about him but to him from your heart and your mind